Well, I was flying from Phoenix to Chicago, and I was interviewing salesmen for a new product the company had developed. The, the, the company arranged the tickets, and that was cool, and the only seat left on the plane was in business class, and that was really cool because they usually don't fly me business class for that kind of short flight. This is Very Bad Words. I'm Matt Fiddler, and this is my dad, Rich Fiddler. And we were out maybe 20 or 30 minutes it was in the morning, it was like 9.30. And I looked out the window and it was perfectly blue sky. They just served drinks. Of course, I didn't have a drink because I had to interview all these guys in Chicago, but the guy next to me did and he had some kind of either black Russian or Kahlua and cream or something, but it was really chocolatey looking. and. So anyway, we were flying along, and as I said, it was perfectly clear, perfectly smooth flight. Then all of a sudden, the plane just drops. And just straight down, straight down. And, and it was really scary. Anything that wasn't attached went to the ceiling of the airplane, uh, including my, my seatmate's uh, cocktail, which landed on my raincoat and a stewardess was actually knocked out because she was still serving drinks in coach. It was bad, you know, and it only lasted probably six, seven seconds, I would guess, maybe a little bit longer than that. But then the pilot came on the intercom and said, ladies and gentlemen, we just experienced some clear air turbulence. And before he could say another sentence, some guy from the back of the plane, and I couldn't see because I was up front, yelled out, no shit! <laughs> and the whole plane just cracked up. Everybody went stare up because we were all scared. We were scared to death. We know swearing can release stress, but can bad words help with actual pain? Right now on Very Bad Words, we're going to explore the potential healing properties of swearing. So I've been working on this episode for a while now, based on a study that I read in 2016 that said swearing might create opiate-like responses in the brain. And then a few weeks ago, one of my favorite language podcasts, The Illusionist, asked if swearing was good for you in an episode of theirs. And I heard a story from one of their guests, author Emma Byrne, that I thought would illustrate the brain's unique relationship with swearing. So I called up podcasting friend and colleague Helen Zaltzman, host of The Illusionist, to see if she would tell us the story of Phineas Gage. Yes, Phineas Gage was um, a 25-year-old railway foreman and he was working in Vermont and his team were blasting away rocks so that they could lay train tracks. And he was tamping down some explosives to blast some rock away when the three-foot-eight metal rod with which he was tamping the explosives interacted to cause a little combustion of some kind which shot the rod through Phineas Gage's left cheek, up behind his eyeball, and then out through the top of his head, and then it flew a further 30 yards. So it was this very powerful thing. Didn't kill him. So doctors were on the scene fairly quickly, and they found him sitting and talking to people. So they thought, oh, maybe he's all right. And then he vomited, and what is described as a uh, teacup-sized amount of his brain matter came out. And 
they later found that this was his left frontal lobe. <laughs> so his um, lobe was like pushed down into his stomach or into his... Oh, I think he vomited and also out of the holes in his head during the vomiting came some brains. Oh, because it was all just kind of mushed up in there. It was a bad scene, Matt. It was a very <laughs> bad scene. And they they patched him up and um, they didn't perform surgery on him. They just kind of put the skull bits back into place and left them there. And it, then a couple of weeks later, they had to drain off eight fluid ounces of pus. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So it was a bad injury that I think people underestimated because Phineas Gage still gave the impression that he was functioning adequately as a human. Except and, for one little thing. Well, except for quite a lot of things, as it turned out. But his personality took quite the hit from this injury. The doctor who treated him over quite a long time, uh, John Martin Harlow, said that... Um, he was so changed in personality that he couldn't get his job back and he described him as fitful, irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity which was not previously his custom. I think the consensus is that this part of the brain that he lost is the one that mitigates our emotional function. So if you're feeling like raging or you're feeling like swearing, this part of your brain says this is not an appropriate circumstance. So it shuts it down. So it was like the the birth of neuroscience when this metal rod flew through this unfortunate man's head. Yes, uh, thank you, Helen. Make sure to check out The Illusionist. It's a really great show if you haven't heard it. I think this story shows that there is a significant neurological link between emotions and swearing. And of course, we all know that swearing is emotional, but it's important to recognize that your brain treats this language different. Important for understanding the concept that piqued my interest in an article I read by this guy. Well, my name is Jeff Harder. I'm a freelance writer. I live in Connecticut and, uh, you know, I, I have a, a number of subject areas that I write about and uh, swearing seems to be a recurrent theme <laughs> in a lot of them. On April 26, 2016, Jeff wrote an article called Curses, a Foul-Mouthed Defense of Swearing. And in this article, he cites a recent study led by psychologist Dr. Richard Stevens of Kiel University in England that suggests that swearing can have opiate-like effects on the body. Now, to me, this seems like a pretty big claim. If you've ever been on morphine or do heroin or something, you'd probably say that swearing and opiates are nothing alike. Yet, Dr. Stevens' experiment produced results that suggested that swearing and opiates do have one major thing in common. They can both help your tolerance of pain. So we could better understand the experiment for the article, Jeff recreated the experiment with his wife in his kitchen. I walked over to my kitchen sink, uh, grabbed a bag of, of ice, like those kind of bags of ice you'd get at a gas station, and uh, just filled up a plastic Tupperware container and poured cold water on top of it and let it sit for you know, a good five, 10 minutes, something like that. And uh, I had my wife sitting at the table with her iPhone and the stopwatch open and four, three, two, one. And I just put my hand underneath the surface and... And he started repeating the word spoon. I started with spoon. Yeah, that, that, was, that was the first round. So the idea of the experiment was to see how long you can keep your hand submerged in this painfully cold ice water. 
Once while repeating a swear word to check for its pain-reducing effects, and the other was the control, repeating a more neutral taboo word. So for the first part of the experiment, he went with the neutral word. He chose the word spoon and dipped his hand into the ice-cold water. Spoon, 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 spoon. It, it, really, it really felt awful. It was, it, honestly, at, at first, it's, it's more just kind of like a, the, the novelty of putting your hand under the surface. It's like, oh, that's, that's really cold. Say so probably after a couple of seconds, the novelty passed, and it was as though somebody was, was kind of like digging inside like the marrow of, of my bones. It ended up getting truly painful. So however long I lasted, uh, it was less than a minute. Um, yeah, just just couldn't handle it. And yelling out spoon didn't help? I mean, did it help at all? At least was it better than remaining no. silent, do you think? No, no. The yelling out spoon, um, I don't think helped even in the slightest. Then he reset the experiment. You know, I, I waited a fair bit. I'm, I'm not totally sure how long, but certainly until the feeling had come back into my hand. Um yeah, I filled up a new bowl with, with water, uh, new ice, waited again for, for a while for the ice to chill, and you know had my, had my wife count me down once again and kind of go through the same motions. But I just, instead of saying spoon, I said shit, 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 shit. You know, it, it was, I wouldn't say that it was pleasant the second time around, but it was definitely bearable. It was definitely... Not not the same sort of feeling of of bone getting penetrated, uh, the same writhing around. I, I kind of sat there with the more detached notion that okay, this is uncomfortable, this isn't pleasant, but I, I wasn't you know itching to to remove my hand from that water um, in the way that I was during that that first round of the experiment. Now, the conclusion of the real study stated, swearing increased pain tolerance, increased heart rate, and decreased perceived pain compared with no swearing. Then it hypothesized the reason. The observed pain lessening hypoadlesic effect may occur because swearing induces a fight or flight response and nullifies the link between fear of pain and pain reception. So Jeff isn't a scientist, he's a journalist. And he'll be the first to admit that his reenactment of the experiment was highly flawed. I mean, repeating the word without context or emotion. And there are no repetitions of the experiment. And I'm just not convinced that swearing has opiate-like pain reduction qualities. It seemed to me like putting laughter as the best medicine into the same ballpark as narcotics. So I searched out some folks who I thought could help explain what I was seeing here. Yeah, so my name is Jim Clute. Swearing is represented in different parts of the brain than other kinds of language. Jim Tlute was a doctoral student at Northwestern University when he wrote a paper called A Special Place in the Brain for Swearing. And this paper comes from his work studying the neurological disorder aphasia. And aphasia is a loss of language, but the rest of your cognitive faculties are still relatively intact. Uh, in my lab, we worked with these folks uh, and worked on different kinds of treatments. Jim says it takes a long time to recover from aphasia, even with lots of therapy. And when a patient says his or her first few words after a long time of being silent? In a lot of cases, those words uh, are swear words, right? So they wouldn't be able to say anything, and then the first words that they're able to say are fuck or shit or damn. And I mean, oftentimes those words are associated with such negative emotions, uh, but in these cases, it was a very positive experience. Cause, hey, it's their first word after not being able to talk for so long. And Jim says this is because swearing activates a different part of the brain than other language. 
Uh, swearing activates uh, your limbic system, which is tied to your emotions. Uh, I mean, I think it certainly makes sense that the first things that are coming out of your mouth are going to be these swear words that are rooted in emotion. Yes, swearing is emotional. You took down that note at the beginning of the show, right? Well, we're going to take a really quick break and be back to see if we can make the connection between the proven emotional link of swearing and the claimed links of healing powers. Stay with us. Just a quick reminder that we have a Patreon page linked to our website. Please help us fund the show by becoming a patron of the show. Verybadwords.com. Thanks. So I think we did a pretty good job of proving that swearing is emotional language that is processed differently in the brain than other kinds of language. But what does emotion have to do with the pain reduction reported in the study? Pain is subjective. It's a subjective experience. This is Dr. Samantha Rafi. She's a pain psychologist at the Pain and Wellness Center in Silicon Valley, California. Your emotions play a huge part in how much or how little of it you feel. And then on top of that, it's what your brain is doing. If it's busy doing other things, you'll feel less of it. If it's focused on the pain, you'll feel more of it. And your emotions may feed into that. But does emotional distraction from pain equal an opiate-like effect, like what was suggested in the study? In order to answer that, Dr. Rafi had to explain to me just how opiates work to treat pain. We have opioid receptors in our brains. Those are receptors that would usually feel our pain sensations. So the neurons that transmit information from, say, your ankle, if you twisted your ankle, that information gets sent up to your brain through your nerves. Well, once it gets to these opioid receptors, that's how you would perceive the pain. If it never got to your brain, you would never feel the pain. So opiates or opioids, as we call them in the medical field, they are designed to attach to the opioid receptors in your brain, blocking the perception of the pain. So you still have the same information coming from that painful area, but if it never gets to your brain, then you never feel it and you never really know it was there. It's sort of like if a tree falls in the forest, did it really fall if you didn't hear it or see it? Is, is there a way to have a similar opiate-like response? And I mean in that physical way where the opiate attaches to the opioid receptor. Is there a way to have that same reaction without actually taking an opiate? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the name for this is called gate control. There are certain gates in your nervous system that open and close. And when they're open, they're allowing the pain signal to flow to your brain where you're feeling all of it and other factors that close that gate, that door, it gets closed and the pain doesn't make it to your brain where it's perceived. So pain is both a physical and a psychological experience. So there are physical factors that open and close that gate, one of which is the opioid medication. But in addition to that, there's also your emotions. 
if you are activating the part of your brain that is related to pain and pleasure with negative emotions, you're allowing more pain in versus positive emotions actually close that door and block the pain from coming in. Meditation has also a protective effect that blocks the pain. What about something like language, for example? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so your language and your expression of emotion is huge in your perception of pain. Along the lines of swearing, swearing for people can have different purposes. It can be a way to vent out in a cathartic way, like you said, of releasing emotion, where it can help you kind of build up your ability to tolerate and withstand the effects of the pain. But it may also trigger more negative emotions, which can then increase the pain. So depending on how you feel when you're swearing and what swearing is doing for you, right? Because there are a few different purposes that swearing can serve. And so now what I really wonder is, Maybe the article was written this way that I first read about it, or maybe I just wanted to see it this way because of this podcast that I do. Mm -hmm. But it seemed that the study was saying that swearing has this unique ability to have this opiate-like response, but maybe as, you know, the cliche is laughter is the best medicine or, (laughs) or, or, or sex or anything that's positive that, you know, can release endorphins and can do gate control, maybe could have a similar effect? Or do you think there's something unique about swearing? Well, I think swearing can actually be unique in that it's a pretty unique form of expression that many people are much more comfortable with than actually talking about how they're feeling, right? So if you are able to express yourself by just swearing and getting it out, that might actually do a lot more for you than hanging on to the stress inside of you and letting it drag on and on. So stress relief helps with pain and swearing relieves stress for a lot of people. But Dr. Stevens' study said that the pain relief had something to do with the fight or flight response. Well, the fight or flight response, it's It's all counting on the fact that you actually act on your impulses. If you feel stressed and you act on it, then you allow yourself to use up that energy and get it out of your system so you can come down from that. And that's where you're going to feel decreased pain is when you allow yourself to relax. But if you carry that tension with you, it's going to cause you more pain in the long run. I'm trying to find out kind of a conclusion for all of this is that swearing can have opiate-like responses kind of if your brain lets it, is that? If someone is venting through swearing, then I would say go for it. That could actually be a helpful thing for you to get out some of how you're feeling and also give you a little burst of energy that in a way does get the fight or flight response triggered even further, which you don't really have to swear to get that going. As soon as you step on the nail, that system in you is going to get activated. But the swearing may feed into it for you and may give you even more of a boost. But it it just still feels to me like opiate-like response seems just like a really... Do you think saying that swearing has an opiate-like response, is that does that seem like it might be exaggerated or do you think that, yeah, I don't know. What, 
How do you feel about that <laughs> that that term? So if I can if I can try to speculate what that term means in the context of his study, it would be that when you are hurt in some way and your body gets activated to respond to that painful stimulus, you get excited, you get amped up without even realizing it. It's just happening automatically. So you get amped up with that fight or flight response and your body does release those natural painkillers. So this is the woman who's lifting a car off of her baby because she's feeling the threat, the power of the threat. All of a sudden she becomes superhuman. She's not going to feel the pain of either just gotten in an accident or how much of a strain that is on her back, because at that moment, it doesn't matter. So the swearing, in a sense, could feed into that stress response, making it more powerful. So there could be more of an opiate-like response. But I would call it more of a, a pain-blocking kind of a response, which, in other words, could be referred to as an opiate-like response. <laughs> In other words. So by swearing after a painful injury, you are clearing stress while heightening the activation of a fight or flight response, all which activate some gate control to your opioid receptors. So it's partially cutting off the message of pain being sent to your brain. A lot like what opiates do. Fuck! I feel better already. And swearing has other things in common with opiates, too. It can be addictive, and the more you use them, the less effective they seem to be. Whether the effect is healing or just shock value, the more you do something that is taboo, the less taboo it becomes, and therefore less effective at clearing stress. Jeff Harder, the reporter who wrote about this experiment, puts it this way. One of the conclusions I came to in, in writing the story is that, you know, whether it's fuck or shit or, you know, or whatever the word is, to ensure that these words sort of keep their charge and keep their utility, especially as as pain relief and as a, as an opiate or however you want to term it, we kind of all have to enter into this 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 compact and, and all be part of the con, I guess, that we have to agree that these words are are to some extent quote unquote bad. Thanks for listening to another episode of Very Bad Words. Has this eased your pain? Let us know by rating and reviewing us in the iTunes store or wherever you get your podcasts. This really, really helps. And of course, don't forget to subscribe. You can find all our past episodes on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If your podcasting service doesn't carry Very Bad Words, ask them to do so. And let us know so we can give them the correct info. Thanks to producer Jill Fincher and everyone who contributed to this episode. Jeff Harder, Jim Flute, Samantha Raffi, Helen Zaltzman of The Illusionist, and my dad, Rich Fiddler. I'm Matt Fiddler. Until next time, thanks for listening to Very Bad Words. If there's nothing else you can do for your, your current physical agony, you can at least swear. You know, you can, it costs you nothing. There's no side effects or anything like that. And it, it sort of gives you this immediate relief. Maybe you didn't think about it that way, but uh, swearing is, you know, an opiate for, for the masses, I guess. <laughs>